Hello, listeners. Uh, this is Colin Dams from the Busby Bay Podcast. Uh, before this episode gets going, I just wanted to inform you all that it was recorded um, on Wednesday before the update on Mason Greenwood. Um, the uh, Crown Prosecution Service uh, announcing today that they were dropping the charges against Greenwood um, due to the withdrawal of key witnesses and their potential testimony in the trial, which was scheduled for November. So, um, that happened. Uh, we don't have a discussion about it, but um, I think uh, from previous discussions, you can all assume what our stance on that would be um, you know, for a club that you know signed Cristiano Ronaldo, um, you know, only a year ago, and has continued to invite Ryan Giggs back to matches to sit in the director's box. Uh, we think that it would be a pretty despicable look for the club to invite him back at this point. So here is the episode that was recorded Wednesday after the Nottingham Forest win. Thank you. Encouraged, not burdened by the history that they create, they know what is expected of them. They are Manchester United. to another episode of the Busby Bay Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Dams, joined by Polly Questel today. Uh, Manchester United through to the Carabao, Carling, Coca-Cola, whatever cup final. Um, and we'll get to that. But first, I wanted to discuss why this is the first episode in a couple weeks. If um, if you hadn't seen on Twitter um, any of the news that had come out, uh, Vox Media has made the decision to cut a number of SB Nation sites and virtually all of the podcasts and our podcast fell into that. So um, we have until about March as things are. Um, The people who are working at SB Nation and have tried to be the liaisons and managing all of this have let me know that they are willing to let us keep the RSS feed. Uh, They're willing to let podcasters continue podcasting under different names. Uh, they just don't know what the details of all of that would look like yet. Um, as of now, uh, the podcast is set to end at the end of February, though. So um, we're really disappointed by that news. Um, I, I know myself in particular. Um, I received that news in the week I was recovering from surgery, and I also got jury duty. So it was really the cherry on top of a nice fuck you Sunday. But um, yeah, yeah uh, it, it's not been a great time at SB Nation. Um, uh, I do want to thank you know all the other site managers and everyone who's been have all been really supportive. Uh, there there are a lot of really talented writers and podcasters who suddenly lost their passion projects. Uh, it wasn't just us, so uh, tough times. But um, you know, Polly and myself, Nathan, we're hoping to continue this podcast in whatever form possible. Um, If we're able to get the feed from SB nation and continue kind of posting in the same way, we just, we may have to change the name of the podcast. Uh, We may have to, you know, find a different platform to post it on. And that, that may all take some time. So if we are releasing episodes infrequently as this one is, uh, that is why, and we do apologize, but um, yeah. 
on, on with the show. Unless you have anything to add, Polly. No, that's a, it. It just feels it feels like such a long time since that news happened. And like so much has happened. It just feels like it's been a long time since we've been here. Yeah, I mean, it's been about I think two weeks to the day since we recorded our last episode, and that was. Or maybe it was three weeks ago, but uh, I know the last episode was only like a day or two before the news came out. So, right, and it it feels like it on a different change of thing. It just feels like I think it was only two weeks ago. I think we only missed a week, but like, how many games have United played since then? <laughs> so, so it, it happened right before the Arsenal game. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't think we talked was... about us getting our shit handed to us by Arsenal. Yeah, which is so far in the rearview mirror now. It was like Forest, Forest, Reading, Forest. So I guess four games, unless I'm missing another Premier League game in there. But I think Arsenal was the last Premier League game we played. No, I think we had just lost the Palace, or not lost. We, we recorded after. Yeah, it was after the Palace game. After so. the draw, after the draw against Palace, we didn't talk about getting our shit pumped to us by Arsenal. Um, yeah, in a game that the score was very misleading. Then we they, rebounded against Nottingham Forest as we should have uh, demolished Reading as we should have. Well, not demolished them. That took a while to break them down. Yeah, that was. A and weird then. One. Uh, the scoreline at the end reflected what it should have, but it took a while to get there. And then interest, and then saw something out against uh, Nottingham Forest in an interesting way. Yeah, so we're recording now after the second leg of the League Cup semifinal. Um, you know, after we all thought we'd evolved past the need for two legs of a League Cup semifinal. But uh, here we are. Uh, yeah, United going to Wembley. They're going to play Newcastle. Newcastle's first final since uh, the 1999 FA Cup final, which if anyone who's knows anything about Manchester United history um, will know about, that was that was like the most walk in the park final ever. Other, I guess maybe 94, they beat Chelsea like 4-0, but still, it was a very... Are we talking about United or, or Newcastle? United. They beat Newcastle in 99, 2-0. Right. In a, in a very like, the most... yes, it was a very casual win uh, because they changed things up because they had the European Cup final three or four days right. later. They knew they could play so like Keenan Keen and Skulls played, yeah. Solskjaer played, but and that was wasn't like... the most. You can't call that the most walk in the park final when they beat Millwall in a final like five years later. Yeah, yeah, that that is true. They also beat um, was it Wigan like five nil in the League Cup final or something like that. Uh, not as brutal as you're describing it. Yeah. Yes. It took a while, but yeah. Anyway, we're playing Newcastle at Wembley at the end of the month. And, um, yeah. uh, Is there any of these games in particular you want to, you want to start talking about before we kind of get into the, the discourse around the game today? No, I mean, the the ship sailed on the Arsenal match. I wrote about it. (laughs) Right. You could you could go on and read things that I had to say. Um yeah. uh, you know, I, I don't United fans reacted like, oh, we just missed out on beating Arsenal, like we're going toe to toe there, and I don't think you're doing anybody a service by saying that or even by comparing where Ten Hag is at his rebuild 
to Arteta, considering that they are going about that in two completely different ways. So I I, I think I don't, if you're trying to justify that, I don't think you're doing a, yourself a service. I think you're you're sort of gaslighting yourself. Yeah, it's I think just better to be realistic. About I think that's it. taking too much from what is a positive angle, which is that they were able to score two goals in this game anyway. And yeah, they and there's there's they no kept themselves in it. But right. Yeah. There's the, no... final, the second half really kind of showed the difference, I guess, in what Arsenal are doing right now versus where Manchester yeah. United are. A, a quick summation was. Um, Arsenal blew them out in the first 10 minutes. We're unlucky not to score. United did a good job mitigating that for the rest of the first half. They, you know, every Arsenal fan that I talked to at halftime was like, this is the worst we've looked all season. And I'm like, well, that's happened a bunch of times this year. And like, that's a credit to Ten Hag. Like, if everybody's playing their worst half against you, you're doing something right. It's not a coincidence. But then Arsenal came out, made it clearly made adjustments at halftime, and United never did. And they just blew the doors off them. Questionable to start McTominay over Fred, considering how good a form Fred's been in and that McTominay is just McTominay and, and a lot of tact questionable to have different tactics than you did. He is 10 essentially used the same tactics as he did in the away match at the Etihad. And it was almost the same result. Um, And there's no problem with like getting your shit pumped by a very good Arsenal team. Like it, if you're, if, that happens to any good that can happen to any good team is you could have a game where you just get absolutely rocked. If you really believe in the coach and you believe in the team as we all do, then it's like, okay, that happened. I'm very confident that it won't happen again. And the United's next three games were a relegation battle, a team battling relegation uh, and then a championship team. And they subsequently took care of business in all three matches, which is exactly what they should have done. The The issue is really the only negative thing, or I guess there's two negative things that are related coming into this <laughs> now is the players that Ten Hag chose to play in all three games. And the fact that Christian Eriksen got injured and ended up and will miss four months. Yeah, I think they said he... On the flip side, they the ended most... up signing Marcel Sabitzer and yeah. in what is a very reactive move. And it's not a bad move. I like it. Sabitzer's a good player and he's extremely short-term. It's a loan. There's no risk there. High reward. But, like, very reactive considering you should have... If you were going to sign Marcel Sabitzer on loan, like, why not sign him January 1st? Because whether or not Christian Harrison was injured, we didn't have enough midfielders. We were one injury away from this exact scenario and from looking at panic loans with 12 hours before the window shuts. I mean, you could, yeah. you might say that you might be like, wow, they're, they're making a panic loan. I'm going to be like, well, they're really lucky. Christian Erickson got hurt on Saturday and not today. Because if Christian Erickson gets hurt today, you're in a much different situation. Yeah. And Erickson's injury, uh, I think it was an ankle injury. He is, I mean, the most positive estimate is he can maybe come back in late April but there's a good chance he's out for the season with, I mean, ankles don't heal quick when you get older. Um, it, Marcel Savitzer, like you mentioned, he's a good player. He's 28 years old. I've, I've seen conflicting reports about whether there's an option to buy or not, but I would suspect that this is just a six-month thing. Um, 
hopefully his work visa gets sorted out so he can come into the team quickly because uh, the matches don't stop. Uh, I mean, we we played, what, nine, ten matches in January, and there's something like seven more in February now. Um, not to mention, uh, I mean, we play Crystal Palace again on Saturday, and then we play Leeds twice We're playing in Crystal five Palace days. Again, then Leeds, <laughs> then Leeds, then Barcelona. Yeah, it, it just... Um, it's it's not going to stop coming. Um, and that, that was kind of some of the discourse around today. I know Casey Evans was talking about it. And generally, we agreed with his points that this really was a match against Nottingham Forest today where you could afford to maybe play Menu, maybe Zidanek Ball. You know, maybe you want to keep some of the veterans in there so you don't just put out a, a clueless team against a Premier League side. But with a 3-0 lead in a semifinal against a team in the relegation zone, you can probably afford to rotate a little bit and still expect a win. And what we saw, even with the substitutes, was mostly first-choice 11 players. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked, shocked at how many people are just defending this and come and twisting themselves in twisting their 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 minds into a pretzel to be like oh tenog has to do this um especially when you say because he needs to get the first 11 reps so they can learn his system and it's like mm-mm. you still also need to make sure that they don't that their hamstrings don't explode you need to make sure that knowing his system and not having the energy to play it uh when you're playing May 1st against West Ham or whoever they're playing at the beginning of May, like it's not going to help. Um, if you, if you haven't, if you don't know his system yet, they're doing a pretty good job of that. They're, they're winning a lot of games. They're in right. the top four. You could sacrifice not knowing the system, et cetera, for having the energy to play. Like we have, we have seen this before. In when Ali Solskjaer took over the team and he put out an 11 and the team didn't go and he quickly realized the team did not go any deeper than that 11 that he had. Um, you know, there's people saying Ten Hag, he has to because there's no, there's no, the drop off in depth is so substantial. And that's true. It is. But you still, you know, we saw what happened three years ago. Solskjaer did that. He realized there's no depth. There's no replacement for Matic. He's Fred could not play what Ander Herrera was doing. There was no Pogba replacement. You couldn't run the way that Lingard, Martial, and Rashford were running if you replaced any of them with a Lukaku or a Sanchez or a um or a Juan Mata. Like there was just no room for change in that team. And they kept winning. He kept picking them, and eventually all their hamstrings blew up. Rashford played that last half of the season on one leg um, and and the results went to shit and that can easily happen. It doesn't necessarily mean everybody's going to get hurt. It just, you can run out of energy. Remember McTominay made his name at the end of the season because he's the only one that was out there. Every game it was McTominay's the only one out there putting out any effort. He's the he's only the one, only that one looks whose like legs cares. <laughs> and it was like, he's the only one with energy which is why his nothing like the energy that he brought made it look like he was playing well. And, and he didn't, and like, and you could argue that's led down a slippery slope to where we are now, which is, which is bad, but 10 has got the same scenario and you already just lost. You now just lost Christian Erickson. And I mean, you could say that 
Christian Erickson was lost to a dirty or bad tackle, and he was. But why was you could also ask why was he on the pitch? You've Christian Erickson's been good this season. He has looked tired recently. He gets extremely tired after sixty minutes, and it's if, if you've got a guy that that dies out after sixty minutes, why are you playing him twice a week every game? Maybe. Well, if you play him once a week, maybe you can get 70, 80 minutes out of him. But like his his actual form hasn't been, oh, we can't drop you. Meanwhile, Fred has, since the World Cup, has been phenomenal. And he's scoring a bunch of goals. The team Got is another scoring, one today. <laughs> the team's scoring more when he's in the game than when Erickson's in the game. There was a valid argument to say, even if you're only going to make one change against Redding, Fred should be on the pitch rather than Erickson. Like, give him a breather. And he just he just doesn't, and and that's part of why you rotate players and don't play them in games where you don't need them is not just so that their hamstrings don't explode on them, but to avoid a situation where there's a bad tackle and you get hurt. That's part of the game. Hard tackles are part of the game. Bad tackles are part of the game. Um, should Andy Carroll have been sent off? Yeah, but what's that going to change? Like Andy Carroll getting sent off isn't going to say, oh, now Erickson's only out for six weeks. You know, red card red card challenges happen. And usually they're punished with a red card, but the person on the receiving end of it still gets whatever happened there. And it, it, I mean, Andy Carroll did get sent off, and it, two of his challenges, eventually. Though, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, honestly, they're lucky that Casemiro, when he was tackled by Andy Carroll, didn't have a similar sort of situation because both of them stayed on the pitch too long. Uh, Casemiro obviously was vital to winning that game because he was the one who said, fuck it, I'm going to shoot. And that's what finally opened the floodgates. Um, and you know, he's, he's been exceptional for United in this latest run. He was sorely, I mean, I think that's Arsenal, part of, but, but like, we know what he can do and we know that he fits into the midfield. He doesn't need those extra reps. You know, he's, we don't need, we don't need to see more game time from Casemiro at this point to like learn the system or whatever. And I think the problem with Casemiro is he's, he's just too important. And what Tenog is doing is clearly he's approaching everything as, um, as we are trying to win every tournament, which is refreshing. It's exactly what a Manchester United manager should do. Like when you, you went back to, if you, if you were met or not every tournament, but every game, if, if like you go back to, I mean, even Fergie, the way he treated the league cup was like, okay, it's an afterthought. Here's very rotated yeah, it was, sides. It's like, if you get through games. the first two and three, if you get round through rounds two and three with like John O'Shea as your captain, you're going to try after that. It's like, that's right. what and, 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 and I mean, it was also a, like you also, there was also given, it was also a chance to bring injured players back and get them back into the team. And given that like, Rooney, Ronaldo, Vidic, Ferdinand, Skulls, like someone there was always, or I mean, or Skull or Giggs was out of, or either Skulls or Giggs, like we're playing in heavily rotated positions. You had Nani, you had, um, you had Ronaldo, you, you know, uh, in midfield, there was Hargreaves, Carrick, Fletcher, all these players. So like seeing when, when Fergie wrote, Fergie didn't play the kids in the league cup. He just played the reserves and like maybe a kid. So it was like Jisung Park, uh yeah, yeah, like you said, John O'Shea would be in there, Thomas Kuchak, those kind of guys. Yeah, Darren Gibson, but like you would get a gigs of Vidic coming back from injury or Ferdinand. So then 
by the time he got to like the quarterfinals, he was like, all right, now I'll put the rest of the guys out there. But there was, there was a season where he said like they went to the final and he was like, I'm only going to use players that have played in the competition. And then he played a, like a, the most first 11 in the final. And you're like, well, yeah, every player has appeared because at one, like Rooney was coming back from an injury at one point and Ronaldo had come back from an injury. And Mourinho kind of did the same thing. Um, when Solskjaer came in, it was, he, he very much openly talked about it was no, like we're not punting away any torrent. Like we're Manchester United. We are supposed to compete at every single level. And he treated it as such. And Eric Tenog is doing the exact same thing, which he should be doing. The issue is Casemiro is just way too important to the team right now. Like, I think you could take out Bruno Fernandez in a game and get by. Uh, as they have, he's been suspended a few times. He was suspended against Burnley and Kobe Minu came in and, and played fine. Casemiro is just the ultimate, like, he's the ultimate basement for Razor because he also can very much be a ceiling Razor. Um, and he's he's just too important for everything that Ten Hag just feels like he needs him on the pitch. And we're we're just at the point where it's like, okay, but come on. You don't need him every game, like especially today, where they did not need to win the game. You think, hey, let's rotating rotating your players is not just about um is not just about giving a tired player rest. It's about preventing minutes from adding up, getting out in front of it. And if there was no match today, if United were not in the semifinals and there was they had no midweek match, we would still be sitting here being like, well, certain players need to get rested. Like just because they added a match in the middle of the week and they didn't play and it does not really constitute resting someone. It's it's why I was I raised I, I can understand like, yeah, should Casemiro or Bruno have played? No. Kobe Manu, who did fine against Burnley, you have to be able to trust him to go out there and give you 70 to 90 minutes of, I'll be good enough that we're not going to blow a 3-0 lead. And McTominay being hurt made it even fewer options in midfield. Uh, very questionable to see Martinez and, and Varane in there, especially given the workload, how he's worked to manage Varane's minutes. And you could say, well, they didn't play against Reading. And it's like, yeah, but what's the harm in getting them a 10-day break? Like that would a 10-day break would really allow them to recharge their batteries. It wouldn't just allow them to when when you don't play, um, when you give someone that midweek game off and it's only one week between matches, you're allowing them to recover from the previous match. Let them recover and recharge the battery even more so that they're, you know, really ready to go and get back to levels where they, you know, where they were at. And you could go 10 days without a match. Like you're not going to lose your match sharpness over, over 10 days. So it's questionable to say the least. And it's, it's worrying because like Casey said, like it's not an squad rotation is not an issue until it's an issue. And once it's an issue, it's too late. Yeah. And there's another thing is, I mean, we were talking about this in the Slack channel about is you know Casey Brent Nathan you um, th- this isn't just Casemiro's really important but 
the role that he's been playing at Manchester United is much expanded to what he was expected to do at Real Madrid, where he was sort of like a midfield enforcer and, you know, what he what we brought him in to be, which was just strictly a defensive midfielder. Whereas now he's like, he's not just at the base of possession. He's making runs forward. He's really, he's pinging passes, but he's also kind of like working up to get by the forwards and kind of work these one twos and things like that. And all around, it just seems like his attacking presence has grown since he first came into the side as, you know, strictly a defensive midfielder. And he's really good at a lot of these things. I mean, He's probably always been, and we just pigeonholed him as a defensive midfielder whenever we watched him at Real Madrid. But the freedom that he's had, he's, and he's the best United. I think all I think all around, he's the best United player I've seen since Wayne Rooney in terms of all around game. Yeah, I mean, I I, I feel like I was underrating him. Just and, and you know, maybe a, a lot of United fans feel that way, but just like. Even being a part of this Real Madrid team, like we all look at Luka Modric and we're like, yeah, he's probably the best midfielder of his generation. You know, we all looked at Tony Kroos and we're like, yeah, you know, he's up there too. Kareem Benzema, kind of the same thing as a center forward, maybe a little bit different because he had Ronaldo for a lot of his career. But now I think a lot of people appreciate him as one of the best center forwards in the game and probably always has been. Whereas Casemiro, like, maybe has been disrespected. I, I know uh, I, friends who watch La Liga and friends who are Barcelona fans, a lot of them did not like Casemiro because they kind of viewed him as that sort of, he just hits people kind of player. But really, I mean, he gets tech- dirty and then just wins the ball, gives it to your, gives it to yeah. your guys, but he's yeah. got more. To, it's like his technical ability <laughs> is outstanding. Like he, he's actually just a really great all around midfielder. And yeah, like you said, he's probably, the best individual player just like all around that Manchester United have had in a really long time. And I think, you know, maybe before this season, we were thinking that about Bruno Fernandez. And certainly now when it comes to just like looking at who scores the goals, Marcus Rashford's up there in terms of like, who do you view as the best United player? But it probably really just in terms of keeping this team functioning. All encompassing. It's, it's Casemiro. Yeah. And he makes the players around him better which mm-hmm. is, I think, the number one thing you should look for in a midfielder is do they make their teammates better? Because that is their primary job. Protect your defense. Get the ball to your, get the ball from back to front. Um, and while Casemiro maybe lacks a little bit in that area, they, they usually push him farther forward, and then, and then Erickson or somebody else will come take the ball off the center backs. He's also really good once the ball is up front of keeping it there. Mm-hmm. of stepping in, making the interception, and firing off that quick pass. When when United's press goes to work and the ball pops, squirts loose to Casemiro, it's boom, quick. That's how they scored their second goal today, was Casemiro, quick pass forward to Martial. Boom, you're on a break. Um, getting the ball to your... So he makes his teammates better. That he, Yeah, I, I, I understand if Tenog's trying to win every game, why you're going to be like, well, we got to put Casemiro on the pitch. But it's, he's played 36 games already this year for clubs... He did play for Real Madrid a game. Yeah. Uh, and country. There was a World Cup in the middle of the season. Like, yeah. And every minute on your legs counts. And all the minutes you played for Real Madrid, all the miles that those legs have gone counts. And and he is a, a bit of a disadvantage because um, 
He's South American, so every international break, that's a long-ass play, plane ride back to Brazil to play for, you know, South American qualifying goes on for like three years. So, yeah, Brazil plays yeah. some friendlies all over the world, closer to Europe, but that's like one year, one and a half years out of a four-year cycle. Like, And those, those, air, those airline miles wear you down. Everything wears you down that... You don't get rewards uh, for these airline miles. Right. <laughs> it... But I, yeah, you sit here and you go, 3 nil lead against Nottingham Forest, who barely even came close to your goal in the first leg. You're at home. All you need to do is not lose by three. And that's the way they played for the first 60 minutes anyway. They're just like, yeah, I mean, the whole team played like the whole team played like they had just watched Christian Erickson get hurt and that they didn't want to get hurt, which is, I mean, that's how they played the last four games of the. 2021 season when they watched Maguire get hurt and went, well, we're in a cup final. I don't want to be hurt for that. And also Euros. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it it's fair to it's fair to raise these questions. And I I, I do think that Tenog is has always been someone that doesn't like to rotate his teams too much. And I think you can get away with that in the Dutch league. England's a completely different monster to everything else. And I think it's something that he's going to have to learn. You hope that this doesn't blow up in his face, but right now it seems like he's going to, if he's ever going to learn this, it's going to be the hard way. And that's going to stink for us, the fans, you know, it, right. Right now you just hope their hamstrings can hold up. You hope their energy can hold up. You hope that we're not watching this team sort of crawl over the finish line in April or May. Yeah. And you know, God forbid, lig- God forbid ligaments. Uh, yeah. If we're thinking about hamstrings, so uh, Man United have six games between now and the Man, EFL Cup seven. final. Seven. Wait, hold on. Uh, that's what it's Casey said. Seven. Palace, Leeds, Leeds, Barca, Leicester, Barca, Newcastle. So, so th- that would be the seventh game. Um, playing Newcastle. West Ham's afterwards. The, the FA Cup matches the week after, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, there's a Premier League match in midweek between uh, the EFL Cup final and the FA Cup. So, and then they go to Anfield. Yeah, that is that's also midweek, right? Doesn't it doesn't get easier? But at least they sign a new midfielder, right? Uh, we'll play every game. I, I, Fred's the hard luck loser here because he's been on yeah. tremendous form. Yeah, um, Savitzer though. Uh, that's a hell of a name to hear Peter Drury scream out whenever he hits a banger, which uh, he was known to do at RB Leipzig. But um, yeah, All right. it's a good I- signing. It's a good signing from United, but it all—it also, I think United had a really good window. It it just also feels like they had a really good window because they were prevented, like they were protected from themselves by not having any money. Right. I I think um, was it. Richard Arnold's the CEO of uh, Murtaugh. It seems like Murtaugh and Eric Tenog are pretty on the same page of, you know, if we need to go and sign this kind of player, they can, they seem to reliably have a list of candidates that they can figure things out kind of quickly. The problem is that this whole time they've been operating under these really strict financial uh, guidelines of, you know, the owners were, looking to try and get an investor in the summer and now they're looking to sell the club well again it comes it comes back to like yeah they have an idea of what player they wanted but why 
the the notion that we don't need a midfielder until Christian Harrison got hurt is concerning. Right. Like or, if they're they were talking about um because it wasn't just Savitzer they inquired about, they also inquired about Ryan Gravenberg. Um, which it, it makes sense why Bayern wouldn't loan two midfielders if only you know they think that they just need to get rid of one for playing time reasons. And you know, they also worry about injuries and stuff Ryan like Graben that. Back. Ryan Gravenbeck goes back to the is Tenog shopping or is he just going with players he knows? Yeah, but also like he's not getting playing time at Bayern. He's a really promising young player. That's somebody that I think he maybe he would is, have but, wanted like an option to buy. Whereas he is, but that's that that tendency is is it's true a, a flag for the future because. At a certain point, you can you can't reassemble your whole Ajax squad. So what happens in in a year or so when it's like, all right, where do you go now that I've gotten all the players that I'm familiar with? <laughs> yeah. Well, for now, let's just be thankful that he spent the seventy million on Casemiro and not uh, Matty Stolite, who continues to just be okay at Bayern. It seems. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's a it's a different issue because there is. Like United are are under have been operating under very like you were you were saying the financial restrictions and obviously the where you were going was uh, the Glazers were looking for an investor but now they're just looking to sell and you're you don't want to sell you don't want to spend more money when you're trying to sell you want to make you right. want to make things look as good as and possible. I mean they never spend their own money anyway but. Um, spending a hundred million right at the end of the window kind of restricted everything a lot more. Whereas, you know, maybe it restricts things a lot, lot more. Yeah. Whereas maybe you can like buy Veghorst in January or uh, maybe pay more for a, a more premium midfielder or loan like Joao Felix, uh, pay a loan fee like that. Now you're really operating in the like three to five million range on each loan. I don't mind. I don't mind getting the loans at all. In fact, I think they're good deals. And I and yeah. that's the thing. I think they were protected from themselves because if Sabitzer is really, really good, you can sign him. Um, and if and same with Weghorst, but like also with 28-year-old in Sabitzer, like whatever Byron would have charged you, like probably not the best right. thing to do to be like, we have an immediate problem. Let's fix it by throwing a lot of money at this player who's 28 and suddenly signing him to a five-year contract. What if he doesn't work? What if he doesn't work out? Um, so you can look, you can what look if, back what at if Andy Carroll breaks his ankle and he's out for five right. months. <laughs> you can you can look well, you'll still have him for another four years, but it's a matter of you spent all that money. And if 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 when he's playing, he's not doing well, you've spent that money because United are have a lot of financial issues, and one of the things that everybody wants to believe in is that the new owner will come in like this is something I'm, I'm working on right now but like the new owner can come in and he can wipe off all the debt with a snap of a finger move it from one column in a spreadsheet to the other all of that true none of that helps united in the transfer market which is what's happened like which is where they are all that debt has not stopped united from operating in the transfer market like mm-hmm. if you if you go to if you look at chelsea uh, Manchester City, PSG, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Juventus, Barcelona, the biggest clubs in Europe. You go back to when the Glazers opened the checkbook in uh, Van Gaal's first season, United have a higher net spend than all of them. 
they have the highest wage bill over that time. That debt has not pre prevented United from operating on the first team level. That it has prevented them from doing stadium upkeep. It has prevented them from investing in the academy, which they are badly suffering from now. They did get another but, uh, academy signing in, the, in January window as well, too. Good. Making that debt disappear doesn't change these their standing with um, UEFA's FFP laws, which I know are like being ridiculed right now because Chelsea just circumvented them. But Chelsea didn't completely circumvent them. They Chelsea did what NHL teams did when they first put in the salary cap. They just NHL teams went, "Whoa, wait a minute, we could just we can just sign you to like a 15 year contract, front load it with all the money, but." the cap hit gets averaged out over 15 years. You're going to retire before the end of this. And everybody wins here. Like Chelsea are just doing that. They're lowering the FFP. They're lowering the amortization, but they're stuck with these players. Now, if, if some of these players don't catch on in, in a year or two, you're stuck with them and you may not be able to move them. And that way, those wages you're stuck with. So like it, there is risk involved with Chelsea. And, and I know I mean, you know it, the thing it's, about it feels good to sign players, but if you're shooting from the hip and signing like 27 what players in the span of two transfer windows, like there, it just feels insane what Chelsea are trying to do. And then saying that yeah. this is like thinking of the future, like five years down the road, five years down the road, Mikhailo Mudrik is going to be 30. And you're, you've got to deal with him. Yeah. And it's scary where United are for like, I know people think like, Oh, FFP is like, it's not enforced and everything, but it is the teams that don't follow it. I mean, look, the punishment for not following it, not that severe. If you fight it, because that's what Manchester city did. That's what PSG did. Mm -hmm. But like, those are all the oil States with the funds to do that. And that cost them a lot of money to fight it. They paid a lot of lawyers and everything. And United could do the same thing. They could be like, yeah, we're just going to ignore these rules. We're going to dope up our accounts by having phony sponsorships, et cetera. And if UEFA comes after them, spend all the money. The thing is that all the non-oil states have all made a choice of like, we're going to stay in line. And United, have they're not in trouble with FFP, but they are right at the edge, right at the line. If if the salary cap, if the proverbial salary cap is a hundred million pounds, United are at ninety nine point nine, and that's where they've basically stayed for years. That's why they didn't spend any money in Mourinho's third season because they didn't have the wiggle room. If they spent any more, they would have gotten in trouble with FFP. I remember saying that and people were like, "United aren't in trouble. They never have been." It's like, yeah, because they go right to the limit, and that's one of the things why FFP exists is because owners like the Glazers and the, the FSG and all the investors, they want to keep spending down. They want it so that you can't, they, they don't have to get into an arms race with people. And where United are now, like a new owner comes in and erases the debt. He doesn't erase that you spent 60 million on Casemiro and amortized that over his contract. So he doesn't erase the fact that you're still on the hook for another 40 and, million. and unless that owner comes with, you know, five to six companies under whatever their investment, uh, you know, their investment group is, 
they're not significantly adding to the revenue that balances out FFP. That's the other thing is if you look at whereas like City and PSG have an infinite number of companies that they can just start partners partnerships with. Well, that's that's the where the doping is is that base is that they've is it's basically not legal, but like they've managed to do it in a kind of legal way and and everybody's getting everybody's getting more Ari on it and teams wanted to make those rules stricter, including Manchester City and PSG because of Newcastle. They want to prevent Newcastle from doing what Manchester City and PSG did. And it's not just United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham that want that. It's Manchester City and PSG as well. But like the new these these new rules also state that in three years you have to be at you can only spend 70% of your revenue on players on player wages and transfers and coaches and United. So, and it's being phased in. So it, it goes 100%, 90%, 80%. So this year they're at 90%, I believe. Um, and then next year it'll be, they have to be down to like 80 or, and then in two years, 70, or I might be a year ahead of it, but United are 88% right now. So they need to clear wages off the books and, or it's either clear wages or make more money. And if you like look at their revenue, their their commercial revenue is hasn't imp, imp, like it took one massive spike when Ed Woodward came in and they got the Chevy deal and all that stuff. And then it's flatlined since. So like everybody else is kind of caught up to United commercially. And if you look at the TV deals, like that the revenue is very finite. Your TV money's not gonna go up um unless you get a new contract. But if you get a new contract, you get a new contract for everybody. So like if if West Ham are going to sell a player for 50 million, but now they got that new TV contract, that player is now going to cost 70 million. So, you know, proportionally the same fees are going to apply. And the difference between what United got from the Premier League deal last year and 2 years ago when they finished second versus when they finished sixth was like Eight million pounds. So, like, winning the league not gonna not gonna make a dent financially. Right. Um, the difference that what they got the last difference year from when they, Champions League to Europa League is really where the hit. You know what? You know what? The difference last year when they went out in the round of sixteen versus the year before when they went out in the group stage and went to the Europa League final was about was almost the same. Right. Um, but the, I mean, a lot of that comes from the group stage of the Champions League, though, because just making yes. it into the Champions League is, I mean, just the group stage of the Champions League gives you they more revenue more, than if you win the Europa League. They made more money from going from the champion from UEFA from going to the Europa League final than last year, where they stayed in the group and got knocked down right. in the round of sixteen. So, yeah, if you if you and and in also qualifying via top four is worth more is worth a lot more money than winning the Europa League and qualifying that way. But but basically but, what I was saying, like but pot warm. you're also yeah, you're you're um I mean you could finish top four and win the Europa League, be pot one and get the top four qualifying. Right. Um the the other thing is like the sponsorships, there's only so many you could sell. You, you can only sell 
the official watch, the official computer monitor. There's only so many things that someone's going to be willing to put their name on. It is the official desk of Manchester United. But those deals are also, so every time you get a new deal, yeah, that's new money. But like those deals are long-term. It's like you sign a five-year deal that pays you $8 million a year to be the official pen of United. But like, great, that's a nice bump that first year. But like, you know, the second year, you're still only getting that $8 million and you can't sell like a new official pen. The, t- the shirt deal, Chevrolet, you know, the deal we signed with TeamViewer was for less money than with Chevrolet. And now TeamViewer are getting out of that. So you're going to get right. less money there. So like all the revenue is very finite. They're like United are going to need to find a way to make money. And I know everybody's going to be like, oh, well, you just sell a bunch of players. But like they don't, the only players they have that are worth something are players that are in the that team. Are needed. Yeah. Yeah. So. Like, you're, you're not selling Harry Maguire for that much money you know, you look at City, how they just fleeced everybody. They fleeced Chelsea for Raheem Sterling and they fleeced Bayern for Jao Cancelo or two older players that they got a lot of money for. But the reaction when either one of those were sold was, whoa, why are they doing that? Those players are part of the team. Those players are important cogs. Not, oh, those players are just guys on the bench that are just looking for first team Money. I mean, Jao Cancelo, we know why they sold him now, but like we only found that out after he left. Right. And I'm I'm sure there's some juicy details on the fallout between him and Pep, as there are for any player falling out with Pep. But um for now, uh we do have to end this podcast because I have to go somewhere. Yeah, but... I'm sorry. I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure Khan had to go somewhere ten minutes ago and I just yeah. kept talking. <laughs> it's okay. It was a productive conversation. Um, Yeah, so we'll be back uh, possibly next week, possibly never. Who knows? Um, We will still have a podcast through the end of February, though. So ideally, we will still be talking to Manchester United or talking about Manchester United to each other for you. Um, But yeah. uh, The League Cup Finals, February 26th. So we should be able to sneak in a podcast after yeah, that just we'll in time to want a trophy before we have to you know do this on our own but um right. yeah thanks for your support and uh we'll see you next time